Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Every single one of us followed the story. It was all over the news headlines for two years, from 2017 to 2019. Have you forgotten about it already? Robert Mueller and the special counsel investigation. It dominated the news, didn't it? It was constantly there. Robert Mueller was given unlimited resources to investigate any connections between the Russians and the 2016 election, and specifically also the Russian connections possibly to any part of the Trump campaign. For two years, he investigated. He ended up charging 34 people with crimes. Eight people were sent to prison. Most people were not actually charged with crimes that had to do with connections between the Russians and the United States. They were charged with what is called process crimes. Or when they were talking uh, to the investigators and the lawyers, they weren't totally honest and totally forthcoming. And as a result, when they were caught in that, they ended up in jail. While some were charged with process crimes, others were charged with what is known as previous crimes. Because as the lawyers scoured through people's lives and through people's histories, they found criminal activity in the past of their lives. And they were brought to court and convicted on that activity. Mueller's lawyers scoured everything, scoured everyone, and turned people's lives inside out. Just to give you some of the statistics, they issued 2,800 subpoenas. They conducted 500 search warrants, interviewed over 500 witnesses. There were millions of documents that they obtained and created. They confiscated people's stuff. They confiscated people's clothing. They confiscated their emails, their laptops, their tax returns, and most commonly, they went into people's home, homes and they literally took the hard drives right out of their computers. That's the kind of investigative powers they held, the kind of investigative authority they had, and the depth to which they scoured people's lives. One estimate is they scoured through in, uh, nine terabytes of information. Now you wonder, how much would that be? Well, if you printed out all nine terabytes of information on paper, it would be a stack of paper twice as high as the Washington Monument. Imagine going through that amount of data. Well, this morning, what I want to talk about is not the outcome of Robert Mueller's investigation, I just want you to imagine for a moment what it would be like if you were the subject of Robert Mueller's investigation. And there were lawyers with unlimited resources investigating your life. And they were going through every single thing they could get their hands on about you. Every email you sent and received every text message you made, every social media post you ever said, all of your um, website browsing history, 
every credit card charge you made, every place you traveled, and every phone call you made, they wanted to review. Anybody here think they would feel a little violated if that was going on? Anybody? Yeah. Anybody here a little scared that lawyers with unlimited resources and unlimited time would be able to uh, find something in your life that you would like to keep a little secret? I think all of us feel that way. We'd be petrified at that. Well, the good news is, thankfully, I don't think anybody in this room was the subject of Robert Mueller's investigation. And we don't have to worry about lawyers with unlimited resources going, unlimited resources going through our life. But to be honest, the truth is there is a day that is coming. A day when many people's lives will be given an extremely serious review. Where everything they said, everything they have done, every word they have spoken, every web page that they have browsed will be given a serious and complete review, much more serious than Robert Mueller was ever able to achieve. When is that day going to happen? Who will be the judge on that day? That is what's going to be the topic of our study this morning. If you're a visitor, I'd like to welcome you. Here at Crosswinds, we are in a short four-week study on the topic of hell. Last week, we did a brief overview of the topic of hell, and this week, as we continue in our topic of hell, we're going to look at something that's in the Bible called the final judgment. And we're going to learn what the Bible says about the final judgment. Incidentally, when you start to study the final judgment, which I did in greater depth this week, you realize it's actually all over the Old Testament, and it's all over the New Testament. It is constantly talked about. But it's so obvious, I think, that many of us completely skip it and we miss it. Let me show you on your outlines just some of the uh, evidence for the final judgment day. <clears throat> Hebrews 9.27, it says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. The next big event in someone's life after death is judgment. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 5, And they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Or Acts 17.31, because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Or Romans 2, 5, because of your hard and impenitent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So on that great day, on that final day, on that last day of history, the Bible is very clear that God will judge people. And nobody gets away with anything because there is a great and final judgment day. The problem is that most people, when they live their lives, they live themselves without any fear of final judgment because the way most people live their lives is they think, you know, if I got away with something, I will not have to give an answer for 
something. I slipped up on my tax returns and patted things in my favor, but I got away with it. No, you won't. There's a great and final day of judgment. I wasn't honest on my expense reports. I got away with it. No, you didn't. There is a great and final day of judgment. Now, the point of the final day of judgment is that sins of the past for many people are not forgotten. Sins of the past are brought up again because nobody gets away with anything. Now, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a number of questions about this final day of judgment and see what the Scripture says about this great and final day and how it pertains to us. Number one, when do God's judgments take place? The first thing we need to see is God actually judges sin in history. People need to realize that God is not just a distant spectator to world events, but he is actually still involved in world events, and occasionally he steps in and brings judgment to things that have happened. The first time we see that is when Adam and, in, Adam and Eve sinned, God stepped in, didn't he? And he judged them, and he cast them out of the Garden of Eden. But you keep your finger in the text, and what do you find as soon as you come to Noah? What did God do? The earth had become wicked. He stepped in in judgment and sent a flood, and only Noah and his family survived that because he judged sin. A little further in, you find Sodom and Gomorrah, the incredible wickedness and sinfulness. God stepped in, and he judged their sin. You go further on, and what do you find? That when uh, God's people are in Egypt and they have been mistreated by the Egyptians, God actually sends plagues. And what were those plagues? Judgment. Judgment for their sin. When God's people leave Egypt and they eventually, under Joshua, go into the Promised Land, remember how they were told to completely wipe out those people in the Promised Land? And we're younger, we go, oh, God is so mean. God is so nasty. How could he do that? Read the text. God's people were to act as God's arm of judgment on those people for them and their sin. That is why they were being wiped out. And God's own people even experienced judgment for their sin. Remember eventually when Israel conquered the promised land and they eventually divided into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And because of their persistent sin, eventually God sent the Assyrians to conquer the northern kingdom. And then he eventually sent the Babylonians to conquer the southern kingdom. As what? Judgment for their sin. So what we see is this consistent theme that even in history, God steps in and he judges sin. But he doesn't do this all the time. Many of the times he is extremely patient. He is giving people consistent opportunities to repent. And he waits a long period of time before he steps in to give maximum opportunity for repentance. But as you continue to think about it, while God does occasionally step in in history to judge sin, there's plenty of sin that he hasn't judged, that he hasn't stepped in to deal with, that it seems like people have gotten away with things. And that's what brings us to our second point. 
God doesn't just judge sin in history, but God will judge sin at the end of history. Let me give a brief review of what we covered last week, of how uh, life unfolds after death. And I do that because I know some of you weren't here last week, and others of you were a little confused last week, so let me just go ahead and give a, a recapitulation of things, what we learned. We learned last week that when, in the Old Testament, when people died, they went to a place called Sheol. Sheol was rather nondescript in the Old Testament, though there were hints that when they died, it was a place that had a sort of two compartments in it, a place of torment and a place of comfort. Not a lot of details in the Old Testament, but it was there. And then when we come to the New Testament, there's this word Hades. Sheol is Hebrew. Hades is Greek. And when the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into the into a Greek copy, they simply substituted the word Sheol for Hades. So Sheol in the Old Testament and Hades in the New Testament are actually one and the same, just spoken in different languages, one Hebrew, one Greek. And this idea that in uh, Sheol or Hades there is two compartments for the dead, one of agony and one of comfort, is actually reinforced by Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 16, we know the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, where the rich man goes to a place of torment, but Lazarus went to a place of comfort with a great chasm between the two. That place of comfort in Hades was often termed in that day paradise. Now, interestingly, we find that when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the scriptures indicate to us that he apparently took the Old Testament saints with him home to heaven. Uh, he emptied paradise and brought them home to heaven with him. Paul is very clear that what happens when New Testament Christians die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, which is better by far, he says. So Christians, we go directly home to heaven to be with Jesus as well. But what about that other compartment in Hades? That compartment of torments. We know that compartment of torment is still being populated, even today, by those who die apart from Christ and without Christ. We also learned last week that Hades is never intended by God to be a permanent holding place for the dead. It was always intended by God to be a temporary holding place of the dead. Because at the end of history, on that great day, the final day of judgment that we are talking about this morning, he would empty those in Hades out, bring them to him for final judgment, and then after final judgment, they would be sent to the lake of fire, which is hell proper, the permanent place of those who have died without Christ. Now, let me just tell you about this final day of judgment. If you look in your outlines, you see in Acts chapter 17, verse 31, it says this, he has fixed the day on which, on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed, 
and he has given assurance of all, to all by raising him from the dead. If you're taking notes, I want you to circle fixed a day. Just so you know that God has already fixed this day of final judgment. He knows exactly when it will be. He's not hoping it will happen. He's not unsure of when it will happen. It is already determined when it will happen. God the Father has written it down. Incidentally, uh, one of the best ways to reveal yourself as a heretic is think you actually know the day that this is going to happen. Jehovah's Witnesses, for instance, have tried this a number of times to talk about the day when Christ will return. They've got it all figured out, and, they, and they're wrong again and again. They said that day would be in 1874. They were wrong. 1914, 1915, 1975. Of course, every single time they have proven themselves wrong because the Scripture says this very clearly in Mark 13, 32. But concerning that day or that hour, which is the day of final judgment, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. While the Father knows and he has fixed a day for this final judgment, the Father has actually delegated the job of judgment on that day to his own Son. Look what it says. John chapter 5, verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. On the next page of your outline. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. Then he will repay to each person according to what he has done. So we know when this will take place. Now let's look at a little more details of this final judgment. Who will be judged by Jesus on this great and final day? First thing we learn is fallen angels will be judged by Jesus on this great day. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, actually the Greek word there is tartus, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Notice that. Or Jude chapter 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, notice that, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. Now, we are not told exactly who these particular fallen angels are, just that there are fallen angels who are particularly wicked, who are being kept in a place where they are held until the day of judgment this great and final day. We've learned already that human beings, apart from Christ, are being kept in Hades. We've learned that. But notice these particularly evil and wicked demonic beings are not kept in Hades. Actually, they're kept in a different place called Tartus. So it's interesting. Maybe you didn't realize this. There's the temporary place of being held until the final judgment for human beings called Hades. And there's a temporary place of being held until final judgment 
for particularly wicked demonic beings called Tartus. And both of those are emptied on that day and are judged by Jesus. Now, as a little side topic, you may wonder, well, who are these angels that are being held, or these, excuse me, these fallen angels, demons who are being held in Tartus? Uh, scholars speculate on this. I'll give you what little I would, what, what I know, and I'll tell you this. It's probably the best answer is actually to go to Genesis 6. And I'd encourage you to go to Genesis 6 and read about it. It's sort of a really freaky chapter because you find that there are demons that are particularly influential on the earth at that time, and they are instrumental in having the earth becoming particularly wicked at that time, which precipitates the flood. Also, they were some demons that were trying to create what it looks like a demonic human hybrid. You're like, that's freaky. Read Genesis 6. It's in there. You know, like, prego, it's in there. Well, it's, it's in your Bible. And it seems that these particular demons are the ones that are being held in Tartus so they don't influence the earth until the final day of judgment. So while demons will be judged on that great and final day by Jesus, those in Hades will also be judged by Jesus. Look what it says in Romans 14, 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You note takers, circle each of us and circle account of himself. Because I want you to point out that the day of, I want to point out the day of final judgment is not some kind of a group collective thing where you can hide in the crowd. It's an individual, it is a personal thing where people will give an answer directly to Jesus for their life, the sins in their life will be directly exposed by Jesus. Look what it says in Revelation 20, verse 13, about this day of judgment for those in Hades. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each one of them according to what they had done. What I'd like to point out for you is there's a link here between death and Hades. Death is the grave. So bodies come back from the grave. Hades is where someone's soul is kept. So for this day of great and final judgment... People who have died who are in Hades, their body comes back from the grave. It is reunited with their soul. And when they are judged before Jesus on this great and final day, they stand there as complete and total human beings, not just as a spirit. Incidentally, one of the problems of getting back your body for this great and final day is the fact that the body you get back back, you get back is a resurrection body, which is an incorruptible, indestructible body. So if you end up in the lake of fire with an incorruptible, indestructible body, you will last forever. And that is what the, the scriptures tell us. Today we have this terminology that is misleading. Oftentimes when somebody dies, we say, well, they're dead and they're buried as if they're gone. People may be dead and buried, but they're never dead and gone. 
Because on this great day, on this final day, those who are in Hades will all come back and they will get their bodies back to be finally judged perfectly and completely by Jesus. Now, the next question we have to ask is this. Why will there be this great and final judgment? A couple reasons. First, it will show Jesus' absolute authority. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, speaking about Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every human being will bow the knee to Jesus on this day. Every spiritual being and every demonic being will bow the knee to Jesus on this day and acknowledge that he is not just the creator of everything, spiritual and physical, but he is the rightful ruler and judge over everything physical and spiritual on this day. That's one of the purposes of this final judgment. The next point is it will show God's just response to sin. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The note takers among you circle righteous judgment. That's the whole purpose of this day. It's a right and just response to sin. Because isn't it true that if we look around life, people seem to have gotten away with sin so many times, so many years, nobody gets away with anything on this final day because it'll all be revealed and it'll be a right and just response by Jesus for their sin. The next point It'll be a fair response to sin. For some of you who may not realize, uh, hell, by the way, is not one size fits all. Oftentimes we think it is one size fits all, but it's not. Hell is always eternal. Hell is always filled with anguish. But for, he- for some people... Hell will be worse than for other people. The torments and agonies of hell are not the same. Those who have committed greater sin in this life will experience greater suffering in the lake of fire in the next life. This is very important to understand because people confuse this all the time. Here's the way the the confused line of thinking goes. Well, I know one sin is enough to send me to hell, so I've really messed up now, so I might as well just keep messing up even more because it doesn't matter, I'm already there. That's not the right way to think about it. Greater sin in this life will result in greater suffering in hell in the next life. And you say, prove to me. 
that hell is not one size fits all. There are degrees of punishment in hell. Sure, let's put our finger right back in the text. Revelation 20, verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. They were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Well, if hell is one size fits all, why would there be any need to judge people according to what they had done if what they had done didn't matter? It does matter. Matthew eleven twenty two. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Apparently, for some people, the day of judgment will be more bearable than for other people. You see the degrees of punishment in hell coming out here? Luke chapter 20, verse 47. Who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. So at final judgment, some people will receive greater condemnation than others. Do you see the degrees of suffering in hell that are hinted at consistently throughout Scripture? Point four What will be taken into account on the day of final judgment? Here's the summary in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give accounts. In short, what is taken into account on that great and final day of judgment? Absolutely everything. Let me detail out for you what that looks like. Words will be judged. Matthew 12, 36 through 37. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. All people's words will be judged on that day. And what he says is not just the intentional words and the well-crafted words, but the careless words. You know those little snide comments we make? those little barbs and jabs that just sort of slip off the lips so naturally that we quickly forget about, those are the kind of words that will be judged on this day. And if our careless words are judged, or careless words are judged, what about the intentional lies? Look what it says here. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light What you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. On that day, there is no such thing as a secret. God knows all. For those in Hades who have come back to life, he will judge all. Now, the danger of careless words was really driven home to me about 15 years ago. You know, as a pastor, uh, we have to mirror this microphone thing that goes in our face. And about 15 years ago, I was doing a funeral. And it was one of those days where nothing came together. You guys ever have those days where everything falls apart? It was one of those days. Uh, The secretary couldn't get enough people for the potato salad because every funeral has to have potato salad. And it seemed like I couldn't get a chance to get the, the message together for the funeral. And Things were just in chaos, in disarray. I was completely frustrated. 
the last minute, the sound guy didn't show up. I didn't know what to do with no sound person for the funeral, the casket already there, the family already there. So I went up to the stairs to the soundboard, turned the soundboard on, and turned the microphone on and left the microphone hot. And I'll just have to be careful, I thought, and you know what I say. So I tried not to open my mouth, and you know, we did the funeral, and I, I bumbled through the funeral, and it was just like, oh, this is going terrible. I'm thinking to myself, oh man, this is a disaster of a day. We finished the funeral, the casket was going out, and you know, the pastor goes right after the casket, follows right out. As soon as we went out, I escaped into the bathroom on the side. And as I escaped in the bathroom on the side, I couldn't help but start talking to myself. Oh, Jesus, that was so bad. I totally failed you. How come I'm talking to myself in this way? And then the other thing is I escaped into the bathroom because I really had to use the bathroom. And so I'm in the stall. And, well, you can imagine the rest. And about a minute later with all the people that were still in the auditorium, a very kind lady opened the men's room door and screamed, Pastor, your mic is still on. (laughs) I literally could have died. I went home and I went into my basement and just turned off the lights. I was like, oh Lord. Couldn't ask any worse. Well, if I'm freaked out about a hot mic, on a funeral? Can you imagine what it will be like on this great and final day when every single word that a person has spoken is brought into judgment by Jesus? It's terrifying. Even the thought of that is terrifying. The next thing we learn is deeds will be judged. For the Son of Man is, coming, is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. If the recording of words is like an audio recorder, the recording of deeds is like a video recorder. God's like, I got it all on tape, right here. And we're going to have a just response for your sin. How revealing, how terrifying. It gets more invasive. Thoughts will be judged on that day. The Lord knows the thoughts of men. And then Romans 2.16, On that day, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Who can say their thoughts are pure? Our minds are filled with lustful thoughts, hateful thoughts, vengeful thoughts, And God knows everyone's thoughts. And on that day, for those who are brought out of Hades, even their thoughts will be brought into complete and total judgment, and all will be completely revealed. Look what the standard is that God has for the thought life. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And we all fall short of that. The last thing we learn that's being judged is motives. Motives will be judged. Read this. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of, of the heart, 
then each will receive his commendation from God. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing. Deeper than the thoughts, people's motives, people's dispositions, materialism, coveting, God knows and judges all. How about you? Does anybody find this day, this great and final day of judgment, terrifying? Does anybody find the great and final day of judgment depressing and fearful? I certainly do. But I painted such a black backdrop because there is good news in this whole thing. There is a way that you and I can avoid this great and final day of judgment. If Jesus is your Savior today, he will not be your judge on the last day. Did you hear me on that? If Jesus is your Savior today, he will not be your judge on the last day. Jesus is our hero. Jesus went to the cross. He died in our place for our sins. He took all of the wrath for sin that we deserved so we won't have to be not just in the lake of fire, but we will not have to be judged for our sin because all of our sin has been forgiven by Jesus. Is that exciting? Amen. Look what it says in the scriptures. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. <clears throat> therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The fill in the blank point is this. The only hope for that day only hope for the day we will stand in front of Jesus is found in Jesus. On that great and final day, when we actually see Jesus, it will not be as Christians for judgment and condemnation because we are completely and totally forgiven. Now what's happened to our sins? The scripture describes what he has done with our sins. Micah 7, 9. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now it gets even better news. Not only through Christ are we completely forgiven of our sins. Not only through Jesus do we not face a day of final judgment for our sins? But Jesus is so good. You know what he's going to do on the day that we see him? He will reward us. He will reward us for how we have lived for him. He will take this day of terror 
when we see him and change it into a day of joy. He will take this day of judgment and transform it into a day when he gives you rewards for how you have lived for him. What could be better to take the gray of greatest fear and transform it into the day of greatest joy? Look what the scripture says. Revelation 22, verse 12, as he speaks to Christians, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Luke chapter 6, verse 35, But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great. If you have trusted in Jesus, this day of final judgment is not a day of fear. It's not a day of revealing your sins. It is a day of joy. There's no sin to be revealed because all of our sins have been forgiven by Jesus. A day of joy because it's a day when we will be rewarded by Jesus. We have a great, great Savior who takes the worst day of history and can transform it into the best day of history. Applications. Jesus will bring complete justice in the day of final victory. You know, I don't need to worry about getting even with people. Isn't that often true? People are like, you know, I can't believe they're getting away with something. <laughs> Nobody gets away with anything, folks. Either they will repent in this life and if they haven't come to Christ, they'll face judgment in front of Jesus on the gateway to the next life. But even better than facing judgment in front of Jesus is they would repent and enjoy the forgiveness of Jesus. And the death of Christ will pay for their sin. It says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And lastly, only Jesus can transform the day of judgment from fear to joy and that is why we tell others about him. This morning, we're going to close by taking the Lord's Supper together. And if you are a Christian and you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, and if Jesus will transform the day of final judgment for you from fear to joy, I invite you to join us in taking the Lord's Supper together. And when the elements are passed <coughs> for the Lord's Supper, why you are holding the bread and why you're holding the cup, this is what I want you to do. I want you to worship Jesus in your heart. Just thank him. Jesus, thank you for taking this terrible last day and completely transforming it that the moment I see you will be nothing but joy, not terror. You are so good. So worship him in your heart and then after the elements have been distributed, we will take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.